my name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the senior pastor here. I just want you to know, if you're visiting here today for the first time, welcome. And I want to just share with you a quick story. Years ago, when I was in college, I met this uh, person who became a good friend of mine, and uh, she was not really big into the church, and certainly uh, not really big into Christianity. And I said, what's your big objection with the church? And she says, because all y'all ever talk about is money. And so I said, that's not true. That's not true. So after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, talking with her and inviting her, we finally, I finally convinced her to attend church with me at First Christian Church of Lynchburg, Virginia on the first Sunday of stewardship emphasis. <laughs> <clears throat> so if you're visiting with us today, today is the first Sunday of a three-week series that I'm going to do on stewardship, so we'll see how attendance is next week. <laughs> I didn't warn you about it because I didn't want you to skip today. And uh, so I, I pray that you're, you'll, you'll approach this with an open heart and an open mind. Um, listen, <clears throat> I, uh, I approach life uh, throughout my ministry, uh, 24 years of ministry this year as, or, as ordained, three years prior to that as a licensed pastor. And uh, throughout all, as I was thinking about uh, this, this message and just life in general, particularly with all of the issues going on in our world today, there are five questions that I've always kept in front of myself. And uh, really, they have defined my life and my entrance into Christianity, my entrance into being a devoted Christian, a follower, a, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ even all the way into the pastorate of serving as a pastor. And these five questions, I've shared some of these questions with you. Number one, the question that I think every believer needs to ask themselves or every human being needs to ask themselves is, do I believe that creation was the result of a creator outside of time, space, and matter? I think that's the first question every human being needs to ask. The second question that they have to ask is, did a man named Jesus really live and did he really rise from the dead three days after he was crucified? I think those are the two most important questions every human being needs to ask. For those of us who have already become Christians, then I've got three more, than, or at least two more I'm going to add to you. First of all, will you admit, will you commit, uh, I ask myself, will I commit my life to the pursuit of truth no matter where it leads me? Will I commit myself to the pursuit of truth no matter where it leads me? The fourth question is, as a Christian, will I fully submit my life, my opinions, my actions to the lordship of Jesus Christ as revealed in Holy Scripture? And then as a pastor, the fifth question that I ask myself almost every day, as a pastor and a preacher, will I faithfully, boldly, and humbly Proclaim what I believe to be the truth, no matter the cost. That's the five questions I always keep before myself. Now today I want to focus on question four. And as we are preparing ourselves to focus on question four, as a Christian, will I fully submit my life, my opinions, my actions to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as revealed in Holy Scripture? I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. It's only a few verses. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. Jesus is speaking here. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions 
and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. May God add his guidance, wisdom, and spirit to this, the reading of his holy and perfect word. Do you, do you like that question? As a Christian, will I fully submit my life, my opinions, my action to the lordship of Jesus Christ as revealed in Holy Scripture? Now, now what I mean here is, is that for a lot of folks, Christianity is their preferred approach to thinking about spiritual things. And for a lot of Christians, there's a distinction between their spiritual life and, well, what they would call regular life or normal life. And the question that I want to put before all of us, myself included, my fellow pastors, my fellow elders, the diaconate, and all of you, is are we willing to receive the lordship of Jesus Christ into every area of our life? Now, for the most part, most of us would say, yes, that's something that I want. Until some, I used to say young whippersnapper preacher, but I'm not young whippersnapper anymore. Until some preacher starts talking about money. And then he's commenced to stepping on toes rather than preaching. There is a condition known as chromatophobia. It is the fear of money. Now, for some folks who have this condition, it's closely related to mysophobia, or as you might have used the word, germophobia. Did you know that between 80 and 90% of all $1 bills have trace amounts of cocaine on them? In a 2002 report, the report said that your household commode is cleaner than the $1 bills you have in your wallet. The study went on to say that the cleanest bills, if you just want clean bills, is the $100 bill. Ain't no one surprised about that, are they? (laughs) And after I told Shauna these stats, she said that she wanted to start laundering money. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that's illegal. (laughs) Chromatophobia, although is ultimately a fear of money itself, a lot of sociologists and psychologists wondered that if those who had a fear of money wasn't so much rooted in uh, it generally, but tangibly. That is, is that they, they just struggle to give those little pieces of paper that carry so much value in our culture to someone else. And some psychologists suggested that as we switch from a non-currency economy, that we use credit cards now, we buy things online, we, we buy things in deferred payments, that that fear would begin to subside. And what we have discovered is, is it hasn't. And, and so what we, what we really think, and I, I shouldn't say we, but what these uh, researchers really think, that it is just simply this idea of trying to control our finances. 
trying to uh, manage our money, trying to pay our bills, worrying whether or not we'll have enough money when our bills come due. And our text today begins with two words, fear not. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? The only problem with this is, is that it's not an encouraging phrase in your New Testament. It's actually uh, the verb, do not fear, or fear, is actually in the imperative mood, which means it is a command with an exclamation point. Now, y'all remember your drill instructors, you, you brothers and sisters who've served. Y'all remember the commanding officer that you had that was uh, interested in their newfound authority. And you all remember all of the proper responses, you know, uh, yes, sir, no, sir, no excuse, sir. The better thing that we have here in Scripture is, is that this command, this imperative, this demand, this order, we're also given some support for it. And this isn't common in the real world when we're given imperatives. But the Scripture tells us, here's why you should not fear. Fear not, little flock. And the obvious conclusion here is, is that fear not, for God is our shepherd. Now, the image of Jesus as the good shepherd and we as his people as sheep is a common analogy in Scripture. Countless sermons have been preached about it and probably will be again, even from this pulpit, about how, well, stupid sheep are. I believe that my predecessor was big on this. And I just want you to know that I stand in solidarity with him. Even Pastor Joe last week preached on this idea of God being our shepherd and we being his sheep. This painting is entitled Shepherds and Dog Rescuing Sheep from the Snow. It's by an English-American artist uh, by the name of Maud Earle. She painted this in 1887. Some of you might remember it when it came out. <laughs> this was painted soon before she emigrated to the United States after World War I. And it reminds us not so much of, how, of our helplessness as sheep, but the lengths that the shepherd will go to protect the sheep. When Pastor Joe invoked this image last week, he did it so that we might focus not on the admonition that we as God's sheep need to be less stupid, but on the idea that God being the good shepherd will never abandon us will never leave us, that we have the strength to not worry. Fear not, Luke says. Fear not, Jesus says, because the good shepherd is relentless in caring for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in need. My needs will be met. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Fear not, little sheep, for it is your Father's good pleasure. Fear not, for God is our Father. Now, the New Testament uses two different words that we translate father. One of those words would be better translated daddy. It's a more familiar use of that word. 
It's a word that I currently revel in with a three-year-old, a six-year-old, and a ten-year-old. A word that I know will someday will, will go from daddy to dad. <laughs> you, you brothers have been there. That word's only used in the New Testament three times. Romans 8.15, Mark 14.36, and Galatians 4.6. Every single other instance in the New Testament where that word father is translated, it comes from another word, the Greek word pater, father. We get the word paternal, patriotism, and compatriot from it. And although it does indeed convey the idea of, quote, fatherliness, fatherliness, it really is more accurately understood as the one who imparts life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've probably said it to your children. Look, I gave you life. I can take it away. <laughs> it really means one who is committed or one who gives the potential of their likeness. That's what the word pater really means. It's not so much tied to the masculine office of father, but to the works that that uh, office gives to us, giving us life, committed to us, making us into the image of the one who gives us his image. This is uh, my earthly father. Now, sometimes we underestimate the power of our parents, especially our fathers, who probably teach us more about God than any preacher or Sunday school teacher ever could. It's one of the reasons that some of our folks in our culture have objected to the sole use of the word father to describe God because of their less than positive experience with their earthly fathers. My father has had a significant impact on me, on how I relate to God, both good and, well, not so good. As you can see here in my father's face, my father was a loving, kind, and joyful man. He was my best friend. When I was about 10 years old, though, my father got cancer. His surgery was successful, but it left him in constant pain the rest of his life. His patience was significantly shorter. And for the rest of his life, that pain robbed him of joy, contentment, and contemplation. And of course, that impacted the lives of everybody in his life, especially my mother and me. That's me sitting on his lap. Some can see the resemblance between me and my son. In fact, when my son Isaac was younger, he would often mistake Photographs of me thinking they were photographs of him. This is what you have to look forward to, son. Huh? <laughs> Sorry about that. And in the same way, Luke reminds us that you and I are given the image of God at our creation. Luke reminds us that we're made in God's image. And if I would move heaven and earth for my children... You can mess with my wife a little bit. Please do not get between my wife and I and our children. And you feel the same way about your children. And if that's true in us, and if we're broken human beings, 
How much more will the perfect God who called you into existence fight to defend you who is made in his image? For it is his good pleasure, Luke says, quoting Jesus, to give you the kingdom. Fear not, for God is our king. Now, we don't know about kings very much in our culture today. We're actually pretty wary of people who act like monarchs, whether they be elected officials, employers, pastors, police officers. We believe, and rightly so, that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Probably the closest thing that we have in our culture to a good king is good King Arthur. That's it. And even with this king, the part that kindles the cockles of our hearts isn't that he's a king, but that he has what? A round table where his knights sit equally with him. A king who sits equally with those whom he governs. And although that's all well and good, I can assure you that the king of heaven does not share his throne with me and you. That's something you might want to put away in the back of your mind for future reference. He is the absolute ruler of the universe. But he does do something amazing. Something that no king that I've ever known of has done. And that is he gives away his kingdom to those he reigns over. Let me ask you a question. If I were to promise you $10 million, would you be likely to say, if you'll do that, I'll give everything in my bank account to you? I don't know about you, but I would, particularly today. What is my bank account? What is all that I have to the promise of $10 million? That's the image that Jesus is giving us in this text. And so it begs the question, why would we be afraid when God is giving us the kingdom? Jesus goes on, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now here's where I'm skating into my question five. And I'm going to get into it more as we go on. That I have a responsibility to share with you the truth as I have come to understand it. You're free to reject it. But I'm required to speak it. You and I are called as Christians to simplification. Not accumulation. Now remember the, that infernal question number four that I gave you earlier? As a Christian, will I fully submit my life, my opinions, my actions to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as revealed in, in, in the Holy Scripture? Shauna and I believe in the practice of tithing. Tithing, which means a tenth. Which means we live our lives joyfully receiving what God has given to us. And get this, we keep 90% of everything that God gives to us. Remember when I told you that 90% of all $1 bills have trace amounts of cocaine on them? 
I want to ask you a question. What if I told you that you could have 90% of every single $1 bill out there that has trace amounts of cocaine on them? And it's only the dollar bills that don't that you have to give away. Would you take that deal? I would. Would you joyfully receive that 90%? Everything Sean and I receive belongs to God. That's what we believe. Everything we have belongs to God. And we believe that God asks us to keep 90% of it and only return 10% of it as a sign of our trust that he continues to give us the kingdom. And some days that's hard. And you might be somebody that says, well, preacher, that's a bunch of Old Testament stuff. We're Christians. We're New Testament people. Y'all really want to go down that road? Here's what the New Testament says. And just a few chapters from the ones that I've just read to you, Jesus tells a ruler, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I guess I still suffer from a little bit of fear. I want to feed my family. I want to have a place to live. I don't want to be living in a van down by the river. But if I'm not careful... I can embrace the world's definition of contentment and success, which is accumulation. The world tells us if you want to be safe, get as much as you can. And you know what the best thing about moving halfway across North America was for Sean and I? We had to get rid of everything that we didn't use or didn't need. It was hard. And you might say to me, well, preacher, does that mean that I have to sell everything? Well, that's between you and the Lord. And the truth is, is that Paul really helps us when he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now here's the thing. Some of us hear that as permission to, well, I'm only going to give what I can give cheerfully. So I'm only going to be given about, oh, 0.05% cheerfully. So that's what I, because I want to follow the scriptures, preacher. Hey. If that's where you are, that's fine, I suppose. I'm not your king. So you have to figure that out between you and God. And seriously, I really, seriously, I trust that you and the Lord will work this out. But I do want to tell you this. My wife and I never started tithing cheerfully until we started tithing. Before we knew it, as we tithe back to the church... To this church, we found that God started giving us even more. So we started giving more. And it got easier and easier and easier. And then here's what we noticed, brothers and sisters. God started working on our hearts and gave to us a generous spirit. And that generosity was more than just money. It made us more patient with others. Well, except for people on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> it made us more generous with our children. It made us more generous not only in giving things away, but it made us more generous in spiritual matters. It made us more generous in emotional matters. And do you know what? It even made us more generous in political matters. 
Because you see, for where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. And so this message today is not about money. It's not about stewardship. It's really about your preacher encouraging you to take an inventory of your heart. For some, a spirit of generosity is a matter of reality. Pastor Ike, I've got housing to pay for, and housing in Denver ain't cheap. Food, clothes, and they're expensive. And some of us do well to make ends meet, preacher. You just don't understand the pressure out there. I hear you. But let me remind you again of question five. As a pastor and a preacher, will I faithfully, boldly, and humbly proclaim what I believe to be the truth no matter the cost? And i got to tell you, because I'm your pastor and because I love you with a pastor's love, for some of us, God is calling us to simplify our lives so that we can live into a spirit of generosity. For others, God is asking us to support this congregation as together we, we share Christ, as we build believers, as we serve others. And for others, it is to take the first step, to give and to give it cheerfully, to volunteer in one of our ministries, perhaps to serve with one of our mission partners here at South Suburban Church, or at the very least, wrestle with God and ask God to show you where your heart is. Now, I think Luke gives us some help here, because Luke says where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. And I didn't write this part in my manuscript because I wasn't sure if I should say it, so I'm breaking with my manuscript to say it. If you give me your bank statement, if you give me your checkbook, if you give me your credit card statement, I can look over that and I can help you identify where your heart is. Because where our heart is, is where we invest our lives, where we invest our time, and where we invest our money. And some of us are being robbed of the joy of life because our treasure is in video games, or our treasure is in television, or our treasure is in sports, or our treasure is in accumulating clothes and cars and houses and status. What is it that you and I spend most of our time, our abilities, our thoughts on? And whatever your answer is, if you're honest with yourself, that will tell you where your heart is. Now, I'm almost done. As spirit-filled Christians, I am confident that if I were to sit down one-on-one with every single one of you, you would say to me, I want Christ to have all of my heart. Well, then treasure him above everything else, above our stuff, our dreams, our family, our children, our wives, our husbands, because when you get this relationship right, when you allow Christ to get this relationship right, all of your other relationships will fall into place. And not until then. Oh God, may we be open to your spirit today. May we come before your throne of grace 
and with humility and courage ask you, Lord, show us where our heart is so that we might know what it is we treasure. Lord, growing in grace and faith and sanctification is a painful process, but one we know that your Spirit will walk us with, walk us through, and walk us to. We want to make a difference with our lives for the sake of the gospel. We want this church to make a difference in this community and the world for the sake of the gospel. So show us our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.